0: You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Senior VP of Sustainability at Aspen Skiing Company, Auden Schindler, and we discuss how climate change is impacting our fisheries. Um, we also talk about what zero-cost actions that businesses can take today to solve climate change and also make the most impact, and the answer might surprise you. And also what you can do as an individual to act on climate. Uh, hope you enjoy. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Olakai. At Olokai, we handcraft Hawaii-inspired footwear, finding inspiration in Hawaiian culture and craftsmanship. Fishing is at the heart of Hawaiian culture today, just as it has been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines and sandy beaches. They spearfish, throw net, fly fish, and navigate their boats beyond the reef and into the deep blue in search of the next big catch. No matter how they do it, there's an attention to detail and respect for the ocean that guides their passion. At Olokai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals built for every type of marine environment. Olokai's water-friendly Noheya slip-on shoe features razor siping with non-marking rubber for extra grip on the deck, the dock, or the rocks, and it's designed for easy on-off barefoot wear. And when it comes to sandals that perform, Olokai's new Ulele provides the comfort and durability of a sneaker for those long days on the boat or on the shore. Uh, for me personally, I love that Olokai is a Corps, meaning they meet the highest social and environmental standards at the company level, and I also love the grip on both the shoes and sandals, uh, making it very easy to stand on the polling platform all day long. So whether you're loading up the boat, shoreline fishing from the rocks, or scoping out the best place to set up on the beach, Olakai takes you further. Shop or find your local retailer at www.olukai.com forward slash the sustainable angler.
1: I think you could argue I've been in sustainability since I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, right, as the, the Clean Air and Water Act were taking effect. Um, it was a kind of gross place to live. Uh, you can see uh, EPA has pictures of what America looked like before that environmental regulation. And so that uh, turned me, I think, into an environmentalist. I had family in the West who um brought me out to North Dakota and Montana and I thought, "Hmm, this is where I'm from, not New Jersey." So, <laughs> uh, I went to college, studied uh biology and environmental studies and got out knowing I wanted to do something but uh, hadn't figured it out entirely. So, after a number of random jobs, uh, including cooking hamburgers, which I think everyone should do, I ended up <laughs> at a place called Rocky Mountain Institute, which is a sustainability think tank that does a lot of work with business, and from there I came to Aspen Skiing Company. Um, this kind of snapshot summary of of my work is asking the question: If you really cared about sustainability, you'd be doing something about climate change. So, what are the high leverage things you can do in whatever situation you're in, and uh, specifically, trying to differentiate between smaller token actions that are good and people should do them, versus those that actually might move the needle on what is a global systems problem.
2: Yeah, and what? Are, and j- just is that something that you can elaborate on a little bit? Like what
1: are like some high-level high things that move the needle? Um, yeah. Yeah. So a couple examples from our work. I mean, we started with traditional corporate sustainability, which was how do you reduce your carbon footprint, change light yeah. bulbs, build green buildings. And, and each time we did something, we said, is that, that enough, given what we understand about climate and that sustainability doesn't exist in a climate changed world? The answer was always, no, it's not enough. So we said, well, what what would matter? And the 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 drink a six pack and think hard about it analysis led to, you know, Aspen Skiing Company has influence and media coverage and very powerful people visit here. And we have a very powerful brand. How would you use that to drive broader scale change? And cool. a few of the ways we've done that. One is we, we got involved very early with a group called Protect Our Winters as they were just after they were formed, and helped them build out an effort to basically weaponize the outdoor community as a movement for climate action. It's a bad analogy, but the NRA wields a ton of power on guns. Why can't the outdoor industry wield a ton of power on climate? It never has, and actually this is something we're going to talk about uh, in this conversation, but if it did, it's powerful, it's influential, it's full of very wealthy people, it's full of heads of state who like to fish and ski and hunt and hike. Um, yep. So that vision of movement building at a kind of revolution scale and our role in it is, is one example of how we try to wield power. And then a second quick example is we've been involved in policy decision-making at the state level- for many years, and now, as a result of that long-term work, uh, I was appointed to uh, the the commission that makes climate policy in the state. It's called the Air Quality Control Commission. So instead of our business advocating there, we actually have a seat at the table representing the outdoor industry. So that's that's power. Yeah,
2: heck yeah, that's awesome. Well, well, well. So, something that you mentioned, uh, Auden, you said that you also studied environmental studies and biology, which leads me to believe that you also have some level of interest and in, in, in knowledge of fly fishing and perhaps entomology. So I kind of wanted to maybe use that as a segue to talk about Fly fishing and climate change, right? Um, or fishing yeah. in general, not just not just fly fishing. I mean, you know, just to uh, set the context a little bit here, and and you know, how how does it affect us here in Charleston, um, which we're saltwater, right? Um, mm-hmm. Ocean acidification, um, and I, I saw an article the other day where they're like you know like crabs are basically just totally not they're not building their shells anymore, which has huge ripple effects. But yeah. the, the, the the visible thing that we see um, is sea level rise. And Charleston had another record-breaking year of floods um, in downtown. So anyway, that's just right. sort of what, what we're seeing. And I, I, I would just, yeah, just wanted to see if you wanted to take it and, and run with that a little bit.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I am a fisherman, and I would say a, a very bad one, and part of my... <laughs> Uh, my lack of skill is that I, I love being outside. I love fishing, but I don't, I'm I'm not very tolerant of messing around with small things and getting the detail right. So I'm more inclined to put on a, you know, in, in the same way that Yvonne Chenard uses one fly, um, that's sort of my inclination is go out there. And if, if I don't succeed, I'm still happy. So, Uh, but, but increasingly, I find myself on the river. You know, to me, the, the iconic story that gets at the challenge of climate change and fishing takes place in Montana. Uh, think of Montana as it's a pretty conservative state. And if, if you ask the population generally what they think of government, they'd say, I don't want government getting involved in my life. And that can mean a number of things, but it would certainly mean they don't want government involved in your fishing. And right. one of the, one of the you know, challenges of the climate conversation is people say, I don't want big government action to be the way we solve climate change. And that's fair enough, but the counterpoint is if you don't solve climate change, you'll have more encroachment of government as we try to solve a crisis problem. Well, this is playing out in Montana. So if you're fishing in August on the middle fork of the flathead, um, you have to get off the river at two or sooner. Why? Because the river's too hot. And if you fish uh, stressed fish in warm water, it's bad for the fishery. So the government is now telling Montanans That the most sacred thing they do, fishing, can't be done. To me, this is just a stark example of hey, if you want less government in your life, solve the climate problem now because you're already seeing that intervention.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting because there's a lot of that sort of um, ideology here in in South Carolina too. You know, where it's like hey, government's not going to tell me what to do, yet not not addressing climate change now to exactly what you're saying is, is really the best way to a, to approach it, right? Because otherwise there's no choice. Like, hey, look, if you don't want regulation on fishery stock in the ocean, um, if you don't conserve the resource now when you add in a uh, growing population that also wants demand for it, then you're going to run into real problems. Uh, with with not only fishery stock, but also the impact climate change is having. And then the government really has to step in and just shut it down.
1: Right. And and another piece just from the the science of warming uh, that you got at in terms of sea level rises, most of the heat coming into planet Earth is being stored in the oceans, as physics would dictate. Much of the CO2 is being dissolved in the ocean, so you have acidification. Um, You have sea level rise that's initially resulting from simply warming of the water and expansion, but now is increasingly coming from Greenland and West Antarctic melting. So in a lot of ways, fishing, we, we always talk about the ski industry as kind of the epicenter, ground zero of climate change, but in some ways, fishing is more so because the oceans were always going to take the brunt of both the heating and the acidification from CO2. Uh, Charleston is a unique place because not only is sea level rising, but but Charleston is subsiding. And it's a a perfect storm uh, of challenges in terms of a, a community that has some of its economy based on its fishery.
2: Oh, absolutely, and 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 the state of South Carolina, um, you know, I mean the the outdoor, you know, to the to play to the the outdoor recreation economy. I mean, a lot of people come to South Carolina to go fishing, um, and has a huge impact on their trip. They're here booking fishing guides. They're here um, going into tackle stores and 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 buying rods and reels and gear. Um, so it's a huge driver of, of our economy here. Right. Um, so when we talk about climate change, rivers, oceans, are warming, um, that's impacting fisheries, um, are you seeing some of those impact? I mean, you mentioned Montana, right? But are, do y'all see it in, in, Aspen as well? Um, like where you have some stream closures or, um, are y'all, are y'all at a higher enough elevation where that hasn't happened yet? Or what, what are y'all seeing on a local
1: level there? You know, the, the, the challenge we're seeing locally is that, um, in the last 30 years we've had basically a month fewer days of winter, meaning days without frost Um, so so winter's increased um, by a month and spring runoff tends to happen in a big pulse uh, instead of uh, trickling out over a longer period of time so obviously that's the you know the impact of of warming on fishing affects consistency of uh, of stream flow and so forth uh, the science is not encouraging either in terms of what happens to, say, brook trout by western brook trout by end of century uh, or any number of other species. Um, but it's more about, I think for us, it's more about, hey, we, because skiing and, and, and fishing are very similar. These are, these are sports that are parts of people's identity they're how they relate to the natural world and they're how they kind of renew their spirit as people. And when those things are threatened, people's identities uh, are threatened and they feel uh, a visceral desire to participate and to help. So, you know, the the fishing world, the fishing industry honestly has not been particularly cutting edge on climate um they've tended to to the extent they do environmental work it has been very traditional conservation work um how do we mm-hmm. clean up rivers how do we get you know fishing line out of the off the shores and get tires out of the river and this is all good stuff but what we really need is the 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 fishing world to combine with the outdoor the rest of the outdoor community and push hard on policy and make a, you know, be part of the movement. Because again, if, if there's any sport that includes powerful elites as well as common people, this broad spectrum, it's fishing. And the opportunity yeah. to be part of this movement is huge. Now, Orvis is starting to get it. Um, uh, Sims, uh, Casey Sheehan, who used to be the CEO of Patagonia and is now at Sims, really, really understands this challenge and is pushing. So there is a movement. Um, but it needs more encouragement because in a way that these businesses are stepping into this entirely new field and they're concerned about it because they don't have experience with activism.
0: This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Turniff Flats, Belize's premier saltwater fly fishing, scuba diving, and marine ecotourism destination. Turner Flats is a charter member of 1% for the Planet, is Green Globe certified, and recently has installed a state-of-the-art, off-grid renewable energy system to meet 80% of its energy needs and significantly reduce their carbon footprint. Visit www.tflats.com to book your next fly fishing adventure. And sleep well knowing you are supporting a lodge that puts sustainability first.
1: You know, but, but what's interesting is that in many businesses, um, the first step on climate is to say, well, let's take care of our own house. Um, we'll go carbon neutral. And the, the, the funny thing about that is that's difficult and expensive. And what would be more effective and powerful, and usually done together, but you could do it without doing your carbon footprint reduction or carbon neutrality, would be to use corporate voice, um, use your CEO, use your media presence to say, hey, climate change is a real problem. We recognize that. Uh, we know that there are bipartisan policy solutions And we're gonna be advocating for that. We're coming on record saying we support solutions to climate change, it's a real problem, and we're gonna use more of our voice and power to do that. Now that just cost you zero dollars. It probably isn't even risky in terms of your customer base because now upwards of 70% of Americans care about climate and wanna do something. And if you talk about it in the right way, Hey, this is science. It's not ideological. Fishermen, if they're anything, fishers, fishermen, fisherwomen are scientists. They think about the natural world. They they understand the science of stream ecology. So you're just, in a way, supporting what they already are. You know, another leader in this field is Hillary Hutchinson in Montana. Um, yep. I think she's near West Glacier, and she says. It's easy now. It's increasingly easy to talk to people about climate. And she's told me that they are, you know, her people are asking her about it. So this is not, I think that a key message is it is not risky to do this, to talk about climate and to be an advocate for policy. And it increasingly seems like if you're not doing that, you're going to be perceived as clueless. You know, the new millennial uh, customers they don't want to just partake in a business that's there to make money by selling product or service. They're looking for meaning. And there's nothing that ties more directly to meaning in the modern world than working on climate change. Yeah.
2: Yeah. hundred percent agree. And I mean, especially with, with with all these companies out there, when you see like the the, the climate protests and even this, this next generation um, coming up, I mean, those are, any company right now; those are your future customers. And if you think that they don't care about climate change, you're, I think you're you're going to be uh, rudely awakened in, in, in the very near future. So why not get ahead of it and um, work together to work towards these you know common goals, whether that's policy or, or and 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 support those initiatives um, to 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 ultimately solve climate change. Because for us and, and fishing. You know, if you're if you're a business, it's pretty simple. No fish is no customers. Right. So um, when you look at the the impact that climate change is having and, and I think about something that you, you mentioned earlier, talking about, you know, fishing being part of your identity or same as skiing. Right. And I don't think there's any better example of that than and particularly when you look at the impact climate change than on cold water species like salmon and steelhead. You know that they're they're actually right. affected in the ocean and in the rivers. And there are you know whether it's native tribes or or, or, or the people in Alaska and Bristol Bay so that's part of their community um, to be able to fish for salmon. To anything that threatens that, well, guess what? You know, if you how many no Bristol Bay stickers do you see these days? You know, I mean, people care, um, and particularly in those communities, they're 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 going to
1: fight for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to make tangible what we're talking about in terms of impacts. And, and it, you know, what you're seeing in Australia now is, you know, Australia's average temperature across the continent recently was 107 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, they're headed back into record high temperatures, and that's what causes forest fires in part to be so severe and to, to start and to continue to burn. Well, the same thing happened here two summers ago, where basalt, which is on the legendary frying pan river, um, almost burned down. So that was one of the hottest summers and driest summers we've ever had. And the fires broke out. And so for a month, the, the fly fishing shops had very little business. And then the next year, what happens when you have a, a slope that's denuded of vegetation? Well, you have mudslides. So the mudslides go into the river. So climate is this cascading series of impacts that come in different ways that you may not have, have even anticipated. It's not just flow and runoff and stream temperature. It's fire that prevents the economy from working. And then it's fire that, that silts up streams and causes debris to flow into the rivers.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, and, and that's a great point too. You know, you think about you, you kind of, or at least I do. I at least try and like simplify it, right? Where you're like, oh, it's ocean acidification, sea level rise, and warming. But we don't even know what some of those impacts or uh, the lasting impacts are really going to be, um, because we don't exactly know everything that's going on in the ocean, in particular, right? You know, we don't really know if, hey, you know, are, these are like our best estimates on some of these fishery stocks um things could be happening at a much more rapid rate than we're even aware of right now and climate change is the cause of it right um so i think i, I think it's something to, to just I, I guess drive home the the importance of this is just this is not something that can be put off any longer um and i think that there's I wouldn't say canary because it's a continent, but a, a continent in the coal mine would be Australia right now, right? But you're starting to see the symptoms everywhere else or the results of it um, in different pockets, in different areas. But that's not a shiny example of what's to come um, or what could come if we don't address climate change. I don't know what is.
1: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, in terms of, hey, we, we, we can't deny this anymore, it, it's refreshing to say, look, we have a problem it's enormously significant it puts our industry in existential risk and instead of looking the other way or taking action that doesn't really matter we're going to address this problem and there's something freeing and and pleasurable to it for for people who are used to action and to taking on challenges like getting that brown trout out of the hole the the old smart fish or the the skier who's tackling the difficult double black run. This is what we do. And there's something refreshing and exciting and inspiring about um, embarking with others in a battle of enormous civilizational importance that has meaning and is difficult, but unbelievably important. It just, it's, it's a kind of a cool time to be alive, despite the, the enormous challenges we face or because of them.
2: Yeah. But, but, you know, and, and to your point, it's, you know, the, it's sort of one of the the benefits of sustainable business is driving innovation and what, you know, I, I look at climate change I think it sounds like similar to, to you, and it's, gr- it's the greatest economic opportunity of our, certainly my lifetime, if not this century, in terms of we can rethink the way that we do business. We can innovate. We can use that as a tool to figure out better, a better way to build products, a better way to, to, to do everything um that ha- that keeps the environment in mind because it has to be done but i also think it's also a, a good way to look at it is it- it's nothing but opportunity uh, which is exciting to me
0: yeah
2: um so that's really cool um so you mentioned too like <laughs> fooling the brown trout and how anglers in particular are um sort of versed in, in river ecology which I couldn't agree more with right because if you understand entomology and, and and fishing you start to understand the 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 impact that the one thing can 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 have um on, on an entire river system like a small thing that can have its ripple effect through the entire ecosystem and, and so forth are there um actually was, was talked to hillary hutchison about this too was they're actually starting to see climate change impacts on the bugs um that there's less bugs returning to the river which is you know something that seems so small and insignificant but when you realize that that little bug the impact that that has on an entire river's ecosystem is is, is mind-blowing um and so it's actually starting to affect some some insect patches which is pretty wild i don't, I don't know if, if you're familiar with 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 that or um but but would have would be happy to hear your thoughts on that as
0: well
1: yeah i mean no i'm not a i'm not an expert on uh bug response to uh climate change but (laughs) but it just it just gets back at this this point that this is a systems problem and it it, this maybe the the way uh or the reason that the the fishing world is an appropriate um, adversary of climate change, the the right people to fight it is is one, you know, along with hunters, they're sort of the original environmentalists. Um, I was talking to a friend recently who who's a hunter, and he said he gets attacked by people for hunting. He gets criticized, and i was I was really blown away because I think of of him and hunters in general as ethical. Um, outdoor um, preservationists and, and members of kind of the, the church of the outdoors. Um, so one, they're the original environmentalists, but second, fishermen and women are, are technicians. They look at problems like fishing a river or catching a, a fish as a, as a technical problem that you break down with science and with technology and equipment um, and strategy. And the climate problem Uh, in terms of uh, the opportunity there, is that kind of problem? And you described it as an opportunity. Well, it is. You know, look, um, we have coal plants closing down, and and this is a real economic burden for these communities. So we have to think about how we can help those communities and those people. Uh, Well, one way is to invest in rebuilding the electric grid, uh, where you'd use the The same kinds of skills from a coal mine out, um, you know, making the grid modern and redundant and resilient. Um, The automobile industry is all unified around electric vehicles because they're better, require less maintenance, um, and they're the future. And there's no major automaker that isn't working on this. Any sector you pick. Um, home heating—we're going to have to solve that using heat pumps uh, powered by clean electricity. There are all these these problems that are opportunities, and that once you dig in and try to fix the problem, it's actually fun. It's a uh, it's a lifetime pursuit, and it's extremely interesting, extremely challenging. A lot like fishing a difficult river. Yeah,
2: exactly. And and, and to, to to that exact same point that, that i think so so important and i love that, that you just described it that way is you know to go out to go out on the river or out on the you know on a flat and salt water and think that you know your day is all about catching fish you know you're you're missing the point completely um that that's not the of course you want to catch fish, right but it's the same thing i feel like with sustainability and businesses is you know it's 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 the journey, not the destination, right? Let's figure this out. Let's solve the problems and have some fun doing it. And as a result, get some of these additional benefits like driving innovation and having really engaged and and happy employees and attracting and retaining talent, all these other benefits of sustainability. But it's all, I guess, at its core, which I've never thought of it that way, um, Auden, until you just said that was, I mean, it's really about problem solving. Right, which, which is, which is a, a, just a way that I've never—I don't know how or why—but I've just never thought of it that way. It's just always been about, hey, I want to protect what I love, and that is—you right. know—I I get so much out of out of nature that I've, I feel that I want to give back to it. But at the end of the day, you're right; it, it, it's about um, solving problems and and having some fun along the way.
1: Yeah, and and I want to offer—you know—I think the the fishing world can leapfrog past a number of the sub steps toward climate activism. And I wanna offer advice on how to do that. The, okay, the, fishing in the fishing industry, so individuals, but businesses in particular and guide services, they need to now come out with a public statement individually and as a group saying, look, climate change is a problem. We are wholly committed to solving it. Then they need to use their voice at the CEO level, meaning in terms of op-eds, through media interviews where you bring the topic up repeatedly, through websites, through communications and catalogs, um, say, we are going to work on this issue. We are calling for policy action on climate. Do that in conservative and liberal states and educate the public and make this Advocacy stand. Most businesses will start by saying we're going to reduce our carbon footprint. We're going to take small steps. There is no time for small steps anymore. We have to put in place the policy infrastructure to solve this within the next decade. And many of many of you are already moving on this. Um, you know, Johnny LaCock at uh, Fishpond is all over this issue, um, and we've already talked about Sims, Patagonia, and others. So. The movement's there. Don't be the last one to get on board. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so that, and, and that's, you know, could
2: potentially be done. It sounds like through like a trade association, like after, right. And say, this is sort of our united voice and this is what we believe. And we want to use our trade association to also help affect policy decisions. And we're going to come to to DC and at our state levels and, and let you know, um, what we want to see out of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that point on trade groups is the most important one. Those are the people who represent you at in the policy arena. So their number one priority ought to be climate. And that's a hard fight. You know, we haven't even succeeded on that in the ski industry yet, but it is one of the most important things because that's who policymakers interface with.
2: Or the trade associations. Interesting. Yeah, well, and, yep. I mean... Yep. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean it, it it's interesting to um to hear. So it definitely gives me some some food for thought. Um so what are what are some of so we're talking about systematic change. Um what are we you know, okay, we're we're contacting our local officials, we're letting them know that And as an individual, right, um, which Powell has a a good climate activist roadmap, by the way, if anyone wants to check that out. Um, And so they have lots of advice for the individual that, hey, anyone can do this. Businesses need to publicly advocate for changes in climate policy. Can you provide any examples of – policy that they might be fighting for just in case someone's like, well, what is someone listening might go? Well, what exactly does that mean? What type of policy changes are we talking about?
1: Sure. Now, I think it's important for, for businesses to, to meet with and contact repeatedly elected officials and get their trade groups to do it. And the message isn't, hey, I support X legislation. It's we need action on climate. We're not telling you how to do it, but it needs to be significant. And the reason that's important is that when you come in with a specific bill, often the elected official will say, Thank you very much. I don't support that bill, but I think we should do something. And then they get a, a buy. So it's fine to support specific legislation, but it's more important that you say, I vote, our trade group supports you. We want to see action. Then at the, then yeah. in any given state, there are all kinds of different policies that matter. So for example, in Colorado, We recently uh, became the 12th state and the first in the central U.S. to support the California Zero Emission Vehicle Rule, which would make 6% of the cars electric. Um, And that's a a small step, but it's important because it starts to signal the market that we want electrification of transport. Uh, Another example is how your state controls the oil and gas industry. Which doesn't have to be a shutdown of the oil and gas industry, but in our case, were um, stringent regulations on methane leakage. Methane is natural gas, so you're you're helping the industry not leak its product, and in many cases, the industry isn't opposed to this sort of regulation. Um, yeah. So it's it's really specifically where you are. Um, And and other examples are states have done renewable energy portfolio standards where they say, you know, X percent of state energy will be renewable by a certain time. Those are all things that can be lobbied for. Um, And business voice, especially small business voice, it really matters. These are the people that are worshipped in Washington and that people listen to. Yeah.
2: Cool. And so, and 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 on, uh, I guess a, a similar note. I mean, you talked about that's kind of a success story in and of itself, right? The the Colorado um, using the, the zero emission rule. Um, are there any other success stories or inspirational stories that you can think of where um, might be able to? to help inspire someone listening, listening to this, or it's like, Hey, here's this work. And and in Colorado, it did, right.
1: You just gave that example. Yeah. But is there anything anything else? I mean, there's all kinds of, um, optimism to be had in the world of climate. So right now, and I'll, I'll, I'll use Colorado, but this is happening in other States. It turns out that new wind and solar power is the cheapest way to make energy. And so That means utilities are starting to close down coal-fired power plants um, and replace that capacity with wind and solar and often storage. Uh, And they're doing that because it saves money. So Colorado has, you know, XL, which is an investor, uh, it's an investor-owned utility. You can buy stock in it. They're closing coal plants just based on the economics. So there's this whole movement on the utility grid in that direction. And that for, for so long was the big challenge, was it was more expensive to make renewable power. Well, that's not true anymore. So that's just one example uh, of the optimism. And a second is, you may have noticed in the last couple of weeks, major financial institutions and financial managers have been saying, you know what, climate change is a real threat To the bottom line, it affects the P-E ratio of our stocks. Larry Fink, who manages more money than anyone in the world and and has a house in Aspen, said climate is an ongoing uh, threat, and we're going to incorporate it into how we do money management. Goldman Sachs just said that they were not going to invest in Arctic drilling. Uh, Jim Cramer on Mad Money has been saying, you know, why would you invest in oil stocks? they don 't make any money, and none of the young investors want to have anything to do with it it 's the new tobacco, so there 's a revolution afoot, and uh you know government federal government, notwithstanding we have a shot at at winning this thing
2: yeah and and I think that, that that's um, an excellent message for for everyone listening is that you know this is this is not over um. This fight, or I guess more solutions-based approach and opportunistic approach, um, I think is going to move you know my generation and the generations to follow. I mean, I have a a sixteen-month-old daughter that weighs heavily on the the, the world she'll be inheriting. Um, but I think if we reframe the conversation um, around this being more opportunistic and um, and, and, and way to rethink and re-envision our economy and and the world that we live in um i think it's going to be nothing but positive you know i mean i think that there's just going to be so much good that comes from not only being able to protect something that you love like fishing or skiing um but the just systematic change that needs to happen, as you said, has to start at the, at the policy level to um, get other people thinking about it. And you've just laid out some some concrete examples of that with um, the BlackRock and, um, and, and, and some of the others that are starting to weigh in on some of these risks and, and potential opportunities. So um, I really, yeah, I, 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 it's here to stay. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a, a good thing.
1: We need the fishing. We need the fishing industry on board, pushing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm 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 happy to to do what I can on on my end. I hope that the you know the intent of of this podcast and and why I started it was just to educate and create more awareness about environmental threats to our fisheries, but also hopefully inspire positive change by sharing success stories. And um, I think that based on that criteria we we have accomplished that goal and um I know that I'll be um doing what I can on my end to to influence our our industry and 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 working um but is there anything that that you recommend that um, so we need to get the businesses involved is there are there ways that the individual can can influence that or or is this um do you have any insight on that
1: yeah Uh, I mean, you pointed out Protect Our Winters Climate Activist Roadmap. I mean, that fundamentally, that's online on the website, protectourwinters.org. As an individual, it's all about being a citizen and wielding power as part of a democracy. So what does that look like? Well, it's, it's voting, hello. And by the way, Trump, whatever people think of him, and it's fine if you think his economic policy is good... He's wrong on climate change and he's done bad things that are preventing us from solving the problem. So, you got to vote for someone for president who understands the climate problem. That's point one. Point two is get involved in democracy in any number of ways. One, if you patronize a business and they're not activist on climate, tell them, hey, I like you, but you need to do more. Communicate with the CEO. Run for town council. Communicate with your own town council and say, hey, can we improve building codes? What are you doing on climate? Can you declare a climate emergency? Participate in the movement by giving some money to a cause you care about. Protect our winters, 350.org. There are tons of good activist organizations. Get out there in the streets if there's a march. Call your elected (laughs) official. Write your elected official. You know, people say, ah, you keep telling me to do that. You know, and, and here's the thing people don't do it. And when you go to elected officials office and you say, what are you hearing about? Climate isn't at the top of the list. So it's sort of a, it's a talk it up, push, 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 be part of democracy, vote, push on elected officials, figure out where your power is, write letters to the editor, write op-eds, talk to your friends, read the science. There's so much to do. And you can sort of see, it's like, It's like being back in college. You're alive. You're educating yourself. You're exposed to new things. You're interacting with other human beings in a respectful way. It's what we do as as people. We do revolution. We know how to do it. We've done it historically. We've we've made big changes in society before, and we can do it again.
2: I love that. Um, I think that actually might be the perfect message to, to wrap on. Um, Auden, um unless there was something that you wanted to, to make sure that we, we discussed.
1: No, that's it. Uh, thank you for having me and for what you're doing, and I look forward to, to seeing you out there on the front lines.
0: Thanks for tuning in to The Sustainable Angler. Uh, special thanks to Auden for his time and uh, being a guest on the podcast. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, Olokai and Turnip Flats. And if you like what you have heard on the podcast, um, would really help uh, the podcast out a lot. If you'd be willing to like, comment, share, give a rating and review. Um, and, the, the podcast is available basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and we recently were just added to iHeartRadio. So anyway, uh, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.